When, uh, when my wife and I were younger, um, we lived in St. Louis when I was going to the seminary. Uh, her family lived in Columbus, Ohio, and my family lived in Manistee, Michigan, uh, about two hours north of Grand Rapids, for those of you who are familiar with the state. And neither of those is close to St. Louis. So when we would go and visit our family, um, we would have you know, nine, ten-hour car rides. And uh, did you know how many times the radio station will play the same song over and over again? It gets old. And, uh, and, you know, my wife, she's an elementary school teacher, and she loves children's literature. And um, one day we were talking about C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. When I was a kid, there was a cartoon that showed on TV, and, and I had never read the book. And she's like, what do you mean you've never read the book? What about the other books? And, and, and so instead of listening to the radio, we started taking books, and she would read them to me uh, as we drove. And one of those, boy, one of those, those books that, that just really touched my heart uh, was uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And there's a scene in this book that, that I want to talk with you about, but I want to pause for a moment. They made some movies of these books. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe isn't too bad. The rest are horrible. <laughs> Just read the books, especially if you have children and grandchildren. Because these books, they're like a catechism in story form. And there are great ways to talk to your children about the faith through these books. So I encourage you to do this. And, and this came to my mind recently because we were on another road trip, and instead of reading it, we got it uh, uh, books on, uh, on tape type of a thing. It, it's on the phone, I, but I keep calling it on tape. Uh, I, I don't know what, uh, what else to say. Um, but, uh, you know, we played it through the car so that uh, uh, all the kids had heard it except for Lucy, our youngest. And so it was time to make sure that she uh, heard these stories too. But in this book, there is a, a, a character that is introduced, a boy by the name of Eustace. And I love the way Lewis talks about him. He says, his name was Eustace Scrub, and he almost deserved it. Uh, Eustace Scrub was obnoxious. He was stuck up. He was rude to everybody. Uh, he was selfish, self-centered, and just a real right pain. And here he is, he finds himself miraculously on this ship called the Dawn Treader. And, you know, when we think ships, we, you know, we think, you know, as Eustace did in the book, like the Queen Victoria, you know, these great big, huge things. You got to think more along the lines of like a Viking ship, a lot smaller, bobbing around in the sea. And he finds himself miraculously on this ship with a crew and uh, um, I, I, I don't want to go too much into detail, but uh, um, he's just awful, awful in every way that you can imagine. He's horrible. And they end up in this huge storm that, that drives them and it takes off their, their sail and they're becalmed. And, and, and through it all, he is just horrible. 
And they find land. They finally drift to an island where they can, you know, get themselves back together. It's a deserted island. You know, so the first thing to do when you get on an you know, island after you've been you know, marooned or whatever with your crew is to start rebuilding the ship, right? Well, that sounds like a lot of work to Eustace. So he takes off and he wanders off. And in the process, he finds a dying dragon. He finds its hoard. And he sleeps on the gold. And in the process, he becomes a dragon. Which, yeah, that might sound kind of cool. You know, breathe fire, really strong, you can fly. But all of a sudden, these people that he was so horrible to, he's completely cut off from them. And even though he's able to kind of connect with them and, and, and there is sort of a, a reconciliation where he is trying to help, he hears them. What are we going to do with this dragon? I mean, the boat's only so big. We only can carry so much food. And he realizes that what's going to happen is they're going to have to leave him. And it's this horrible, lonely moment where all of his own creation and in his sorrow and in his hurt and in his pain, he's, I'd call it sulking, but sulking is really negative. He's he's wallowing in in real legitimate hurt. He meets the main character of, of all the books a lion by the name of Aslan, who is a Christ figure. He's a picture of Jesus in in all the stories. And the lion takes him to a garden. And in the garden, there is a well. And he tells Eustace the dragon to go into the well and to bathe, to ease his sorrows and to ease his pain. And as he's heading in, Aslan says to him, you must undress first. He's like, I'm a dragon, I'm naked, what are you talking about? And then he realized that dragons are kind of snaky things. And he could shed his skin. And so he starts tearing at his skin and he pulls off all these scales and, 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 and then he steps out of it and there's still layers underneath. And so he starts tearing at it again and tearing at it some more. And he steps out of that skin, but he's still all dragony. And then, then the lion says to him, You'll have to let me help you. And he bears his claws and digs them into the flesh of the dragon. And starts tearing. And Eustace says, I was afraid of those claws. And when they first sunk in, it hurt like Billy O. But then he also talked about how it felt good. Like, this is gross, but kind of like picking a scab. (laughs) Doctor, you shouldn't pick a scab, should you? Right. You shouldn't do that. But try not to. You know? And and there was just something about it that 
And then the dragon takes, or the lion takes hold of him and throws him into the water of the pool. And as he comes out, he's a boy again. And the whole thing, <laughs> it's a picture of baptism. You know, when people come to faith, when we come to faith, there's this, this sense that we need to repent. And we do. We kind of we pull off the scales and we try to, you know, get rid of the bad things in our lives. But sometimes it's really half-hearted, isn't it? And we very rarely get all the way down to the heart of the matter. And we need Jesus to intervene, to get at the core, to get really down to where the sin lurks. And he takes hold of us, just as he already has taken hold of us, you and me, when you were a little baby, for most of you, and he put you in those waters of baptism. And, you know, we think of baptism as just this, this cute moment in the baby. Oh, she's so sweet. But it's a perilous moment. It's a deadly moment. Like lion digging its claws. Because that old sinner that is you goes down in the water and drowns. And dies so that a new person may come to life. A person who's alive in Christ. Our, our epistle lesson talked about this today. Do you not know everyone who is baptized into Christ Jesus is baptized into his, his death? Oh, that sounds horrible. We're baptized into his death so that having received his death, we might receive a resurrection like his. That we might walk in newness of life. That we might become someone different than we were. And that's what happened to Eustace. Eustace, Eustace was a terrible person and he became this dragony person. And when he comes out, he's a new person. He's changed. Now, the book is pretty clear that that doesn't mean that he never, you know, faltered and didn't act the way that he used to act. And that's why we live this life of repentance. And our baptism is all about repentance. That we go back day after day and we take that old sinful nature back to those baptismal waters and you say, get under and stay there till you're dead. Because I want to walk in this newness of life that Jesus has given to me. And it's a great gift that Jesus gives to each of us. That he gives you new life. And he promises you resurrection from the dead in that baptism. And so today, today we remember the baptism of our Lord. When Jesus went to the Jordan River to be baptized. And when we think about all the things that, that go with baptism, 
You know, this drowning of the old sinful nature and all of this repentance and, and, and all of those things that deal with sin. Why does Jesus need to be baptized? This is kind of John's response when, when, when Jesus comes. He says, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus says, let it be so now. And we might fulfill all righteousness. Because you see, when Jesus goes down into that water, it's not that he needs to be undragoned. It's not that he needs to have those scales torn off of him. It is not that, that he you know, needs to repent of anything. But he stands with sinners. Sinners who cannot possibly fully repent the way that we should. As hard as we pull and as hard as we tear, there's always something left. And so he says, you know what? The job has to be done and it has to be done right. So I'm going to do it for you. And he goes down in the water in your place so that when you come up out of that water, you may have a new life. He goes into that baptism as your substitute to take your sin upon himself. In essence, he goes to repent you. To carry you into repentance. So that you may have a new life. And when I, when I when read that question, I, I've heard that question year on year on year. Do you come to me? It hit me. That as we think about our baptism, and as we think about our relationship with Jesus, as you think about your relationship with Jesus, this is a good question. Jesus, do you come to me? To wash me? To peel away my sin? To cleanse me, to make me yours, to give me new life? He answers, yes, my child. I wash you and make you mine. That's why I've come. Amen.